Okay, I've had a pretty hard week uh, and I'm a bit tired, so hopefully I'll remember everything I want to say. So first things first, um, Dane Cook, also known as Nameless Bear, is now basically within $2,000 of hitting the target, which will mean he doesn't have to pay for everything out of his own pocket. He's already bought the, the flights, he's booked the hotel, so there's like other basic expenses for like the transfers between the airports and so on but it's um, a given I am definitely going to be in Indiana there's going to be um, a radio show on the 27th I'm going to get the exact time and so on which I'll be doing live I think over Skype or something like that um, so uh, that's on the 27th so hopefully i'll try and do an, i will do another video before then and i'll try and put some details at the bottom of the thing but um those of you that have supported us thanks very much there's um one of you has made quite a big contribution just recently like over 200 dollars just one guy so thanks for that and i hope to see you there in, in indiana i know he's a freelancer because he made a comment about that um and yeah let's try and you know, make it good. Now, uh, I did a little poll because apparently now that I've got over a thousand subscribers, I can do community polls or something. So I just did one just to see how it worked and um, had a pretty good response. Like over a hundred people replied like pretty quickly. And the most uh, sought after topic was um, a video on a work-related skill. And the second most a wanted topic was something about the Catholic Church or the Catholic rules, something like that. So um, I'll do the work-related skill first because it's um, it's easy. Now, I would say it's important for you to have a degree if you're going to do something like brain surgery, you know, engineering. If you're going to do one of the hard sciences, you know, if you're going to be operating on people or building bridges and stuff, you probably need to know what the hell you're doing. Um, also, because you will need that qualification in order to work in that field. But pretty much anything else, especially if you're in America, I, I wouldn't think it's at all worth um, doing a degree. Um, you are far better off just getting a job and becoming good at it. Um, I'll give you an example. I worked with a guy who was about, I think, 12 years younger than I am. So I'm 50 now. He'd be like 38 now. And he'd been working in the construction industry for since he was 17, 18. Since he was 18, basically. And what happened is... <clears throat> At, uh, eight, at 18 years old, he got his girlfriend pregnant, married her, and started working. And saved and scrimped and saved. And, and you know, he, he was in a pretty good position and he's in an even better position now. You know, he was the uh, managing quantity surveyor at the firm where, where I worked for a bit. And now he's gone to do even better in another firm. And, um, you know, he was very careful with his money and not just his own money, but for the company as well. He was absolutely brilliant at his job. I mean, this guy, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, what I was doing then, I was 
I'd say, you know, I, I was never out of work even during the recession and so on because I knew what I was doing and I made a lot of people a lot of money. But this guy, he was better than I am and he knew every job inside out and he knew every little detail and he was only like 30. Now, it's true. He had to work his ass off and, you know, he had two kids. Um, they were like both 10 years old or something. His wife actually had quite a um, sort of a serious, I think she had narcolepsy or something like that. So she couldn't really work in a, you know, full, full time, I think. Um, but he did very well. He bought his first house when he was in his 20s and then he sold that and then he bought another one and then he sold that and all the time while he was working. So, you know, by the time he gets to be my age, he can probably retire, you know. So that would be my advice to you. Pick something and work at it. If you're going to pick something that you love, great. You know, if you know something that you love, great. But, you know, I'll give you the same advice my grandfather gave me when I was maybe 20. I was like, no, I wasn't even 20. I was like 19, 17, 18, 19, something like that. And I was like, oh, well, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think about doing that? But I could see all the problems because that's how my brain works. Um, here's another little interesting tidbit, which I'll just hopefully just sidetrack for a minute or two and it'll be interesting. There's basically four type of people. There are people that are, they, they want everybody to, to be the same and they, they're sort of like, um, they, they like everybody to be on the same page. They like everyone to be in agreement and so on. And that's most people. Then there are some people that are sort of groupers with exceptions. So they want everybody to kind of be the same, but there's some things they don't like. You know, they'll they'll sort of try and avoid those. Then there's people that are just contrarians all the way through. And then there are people that are contrarians with exceptions. An easy way to find this out is like if you look at stuff on a table and you ask somebody, what's the relationship between the items that you see on the table? Somebody that's a grouper, Will, will sort of say, well, they're all on the table, you know? Somebody who's a grouper with exception will go like, well, most of the things on the table are to do with eating, but, you know, there's some things on the table that don't, don't have anything to do with eating. Now, a contrarian that's just a contrarian will just go, nothing, no relationship at all. And then there's what I am, which is a contrarian with exceptions, which will go like, well, they're all separate objects, but some of them have to do with eating, uh, those two have to do with writing, and that one doesn't have any relationship to the other ones at all. The The contrarian with exceptions is probably the most objective. Um, and again, you know, whether it's because uh, I've got that Sigma personality, the Asperger's, the INTJ, whatever, I don't know, but that's just how it works. Um, anyway, the thing is, if you're going to pick some kind of job, I'll tell you what my grandfather told me, which is because I'm a contrarian with exceptions, I always see the problems about anything. You know, somebody comes up with a brilliant project and I'm like, mm, yeah, you're going to run into a problem there, 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 and there. But because I'm a contrarian with exceptions, I don't see the obstacles as necessarily an obstacle. I just see them and, you know, realize that we have to be prepared for them. While most people who see obstacles, especially if they're presented to them and they're sort of groupers, they'll go like, oh no, you're just trying to depress everybody. You're just demoralizing. No, I'm not demoralizing, you fucking moron. You know, you want to build a bridge, there's a, a river in flood. You know, maybe you should wait when the river is not in flood to build a bridge. It'll cost less, it'll be easier, it'll be less dangerous. 
So it's that sort of a thing. But uh, because I was seeing all the problems with anything, and my grandfather was sort of listening to me and suggesting something, and then he said, look, at the end of the day, if you can find something that you really love doing, that's great. But whether you do or don't, doesn't really matter. Because everybody's got to work. You've got to eat. So you've got to do something. If you can't find something that is something you really like, at least try to find something that you're good at or that you can do well. And that is really good advice. Now, when he talks about a specific skill for work, you know, again, let's actually look from generic to the, to the, it's always better for me to look big picture and go to the details. So big picture is you got to work, so find a job and start there. Second thing is try and pick a job in a field that's not going to disappear tomorrow. So if you're in construction, you know, People, there's always buildings going up and buildings coming down, no matter what's really going on. Of course, if there's a war, then everybody's in shit. Or, you know, you could be a baker. A baker, everybody's going to always have bread. People eat. Or, you know, if you're a bit more macabre, I suppose you could be a funeral director, you know, like people die. Everybody dies. You're assured business there. But, um, you know, so pick something that is kind of solid and that is a requirement pretty much you know if you're gonna pick uh i don't know whatever bitcoin mining that's just bullshit you know that that yeah whatever maybe some people made money at it but it's it's irrelevant it's just it's vaporware you know so pick something and then become good at it if you're not good at it don't get disheartened just get good at it you know learn everything that there is to know get that job it doesn't matter if you got to start somewhere at the bottom especially if you're young it's fine you know, it doesn't matter if you look, if you if you really just need a job, get a job. It doesn't matter if you're stacking shelves, all right? Earn some money and then start to save that money. So I'm telling you all the things that I've learned the hard way by not doing them. Save money, work hard, and try and save your money, not in fiat paper money currency necessarily, but in things like silver, gold, or physical things, you know, guns, land. If you can get land, get land. You know, there are times where you're just going to have to save the paper money until, you know, or the dots on a screen or whatever, until you can afford some land, until you can afford the gold or whatever, or the guns, you know. And also as a generic life skill, I think it's always a good idea to learn something that is challenging. So like a martial art or a defensive thing, like learn how to shoot, you know. Even in countries like England, you can still learn how to shoot. Can still go to shooting range yes you can't shoot handguns yes they've got this and they've got that and they've got the other but you know you you can still learn how to shoot you can still learn how to do a martial art you can still learn how to do something that interests you um but don't do it just because i say so you know you've got to be interested in it if you're not interested in it if it's not your thing there's no point in you trying to force yourself to go to a martial art class you know you're not going to enjoy it and even the people that are really fanatical about it don't enjoy it sometimes because, you know, you get the shit kicked out of you pretty regularly. So when it comes to a work skill, I would suggest pick something that is not going to disappear tomorrow and then become good at it. That's basically it. Um, work is simple. You know, work is not difficult. And if you want to work, you can get work. You can find work. 
You might have to start in a really shitty job. You might have to start somewhere that you don't like, but that's fine. You know, even if you're just hired as a laborer because, I don't know, you don't even speak English well and you're in an English-speaking country or, you know, fine. Start digging a hole. Dig the damn hole, dude. Eventually, you'll learn the language. When you finish digging the hole and you've learned the language, you know, start to do something a bit better than that. Maybe instead of digging the hole, fill the hole, you know. Maybe you can become a bricklayer or a plasterer or whatever, you know. I mean, I had a guy work for me at one point when I started out in England who he couldn't speak a word of English. I literally gave him a pickaxe and made him dig a trench because fuck it, I needed a trench. And yeah, I could use the machine to do it. It would be quicker, but he was cheaper and he had nothing else to do. And I couldn't instruct him on anything else because he didn't speak a word of English. Uh, and then he learned the couple of words, you know, here and there. And it turns out this guy was an electrical engineer. And I asked him to come over to my place because I had a problem with the internet thing. And he rewired my whole fucking telephone socket in like five minutes flat. And I paid him twice what his day rate was just because I was like, shit, if I'd got somebody else to do it, they would have charged me like four times that. I gave him twice his daily rate. I said, thanks, man. You know. But that guy was obviously going to go places. Yes, he couldn't even fucking speak English and was just going to dig a hole. But... He needed the money. He'd just come into the country. He'd left his wife and kid behind. He was willing to fucking do whatever, you know. That's the attitude. So when it comes to work skills, I would say the biggest skill you've got to learn is your attitude. Don't quit. Don't give up. Find your way around problems. Go over it. Go under it. You know, fucking be something that somebody wants to have in his workforce. I don't care if you can speak a word of English, but if you fucking do everything that you're told and you do it well, you'll soon learn the English. You know, in a month, you'll, you'll speak enough English to get by. You know, and even if you don't know shit, if you don't know anything about the job, but you're willing to learn and you're willing to do whatever it takes and you're humble and you're like, I don't know, but I will do. You tell me and I will do. You teach me and I will do. And do it fucking three times harder than anybody else around you. You're going to do well. That's it. That's literally it. The best skill for your work is perseverance. Do not despair. Do not despair. Do not give up. Just keep fucking punching. And let me tell you a little word of warning. Doesn't mean that if you do all that, you're not going to get hurt. You're not going to get depressed. You're not going to get fired. You will get all of those things probably. So that's not a reason to get down. All right? I've been fired. I've told people to go fuck themselves and shove their job. You know, not once or twice, several times. So, you know, don't don't worry about it. There There is work out there unless you're in a fucking war zone. And if you're a war zone, you know, there's work there too. Just different kind of work. So perseverance is the key. Now, I did also want to say on to topic number two about something about the Catholic Church. Now, there's something really interesting that I've mentioned several times. And th there's so much I want to say on the Catholic Church. There is just, you know, it's there's no way I can do it in one video or in 15 minutes or whatever. It's going to be a series of videos eventually. And as some of you might know, I occasionally bring up Catholicism just now and then, you know. So there's a couple of things. One is the ongoing little arguments I have with my friend Dave are kind of useful because it's showing me uh, 
um, as as he flings, you know, accusations my way, I look them up, and it's exactly what I said would happen because I I see patterns. One of my biggest best skills is to see patterns before anybody else in ways and things that other people just don't even figure out. And the pattern is the Catholic Church has a history that is undeniable. The expansion of Christianity is due to the Catholic Church. The creation of science is due to the Catholic Church. The creation of better living conditions for all human beings is very much very largely due to the Catholic Church. Now, 500 years ago, the Protestants came along and started to satanify everything and to, um, you know, secularize Christianity. That was the whole purpose of, of um, that was the whole purpose of Protestantism. It is a satanic endeavor to, you know, reduce uh, Christianity to a secularized false religion. And they've, they, you know, they've had 500 years. They've done a pretty good job, especially in America. And then once that was well underway, around the 1700s, the uh, Freemasonry and real through hardcore satanic stuff started to get infiltrated in until they eventually took over the leadership of the Catholic Church by um, impersonating popes from 1958 on. So that said... You know, all the historical stuff that the Catholic Church did is absolutely a fact. And it's undeniable by anybody. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that going forward, the same thing is going to keep happening. Because all that happened is a grand deception. You know, from the 1500s, that was the first deception. And that was a slow burner. Then from the 19, you know, from 1500, it was the slow burner. From 1950s, it was the quick burner, the Vatican II. And now it's accelerating at such a speed that, you know, they're playing to their hand too hard because complete random people are starting to wake up and say, but no, that can't be that you wait, something's wrong here. And then they start to find people like me and then they start to read up canon law and then they start to get organized. So it's happening and, you know, it's a slumbering giant. But the, the pattern is orthodoxy just by the fault, statistically, is very unlikely to be the, the, the true path simply because compared to Catholicism, its achievements are minimal. Now, and this is the type of, you know, big picture scenario you need to keep in mind. Because, so what does somebody like, um, like Dave do? He, he, you know, I've uh, I argued him about God's Battalions, which is a brilliant book, which undeniably, absolutely, it, it's so well researched, and it's got so much backup that there is absolutely no denying that the Catholics were asked to come and help the Orthodox, and they did, and they went there, and they claimed the, the lands back, and the Orthodox betrayed them at every turn. And then, you know, on the fourth time that they got betrayed, the Catholics got pissed off and sacked Constantinople. And they still didn't wipe it out, which, I mean, shit, if I'd lived in those times and I was one of the leaders of, of the Crusades, there would be no Orthodox left. There would be no Muslims left either. It would just be like, you know, Catholicism has taken over the land. But, um, you know, it's it's ridiculous to think that, you know, the Orthodox have got it all right and, you know, they're a stagnating thing and whatever. The reason I'm bringing all these things up is because there is 
again, you know, you have to look at the big patterns. And in order to do that, you cannot think in a binary mode. Now, I've made a video on binary thinking versus paradoxical thinking. Please look at that video. I think it's number 35. But anyway, it's in the title, paradoxical versus binary thinking. It's important. It's really important because as a result of these conversations with Dave, I've come to the conclusion that binary thinking is not just inferior. It's not just an inferior form of thinking. I'm starting to think it's actually evil because it is so limiting and so um, leads you into error so easily that it is, I think it's... Uh, I think it might well be just an evil. You know, binary thinking is fine if you're thinking about things like maths or uh, very basic levels of logic. But if you're thinking about something like Catholic Church versus Orthodox Church, binary thinking is going to be the death of you. And Protestants, and you have to keep in mind in the Anglo-Saxon sphere, in other words, the English-speaking world, and also the Germanic-speaking world, which are two major language groups. I mean, English is the major language group on, on earth. Have a history and have, unfortunately, a, um, a large part of Protestantism sort of folded in. You know, so for about 500 years, the Anglo-Saxon sphere has been largely dominated by Protestantism, the secularization of Christianity. And as such, the art of uh, paradoxical thinking has not penetrated the English mindset or the English-speaking mindset anywhere near uh, what it has in the Romantic languages, like, you know, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese. You know, I can literally, on say on the tube, I can literally almost spot an Italian woman without having heard her say a word not even without her speaking. Sometimes just looking at them is enough for me to know that she's Italian. And it's not because of any physiognomy that you could immediately put your finger on. It's an attitude. It's a, it's in a twinkle in their eye. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to refer to some of my dog days to, to explain this in a way that makes a bit more sense. But, you know, I, I lived in Italy uh, for for uh, several months at a time when I was for work that I was doing, and but I and I, I you know I grew up there as a kid and so on and I went back on holidays regularly. I've got family there, whatever. But I never spent a lot of time in Italy at one go, you know. And you know by that time I had been with quite a lot of women, and you know you develop when when you're that kind of a guy. <laughs> I actually Owen. I heard Owen use a term that I uh, that I've used myself, which is you know when you get fucked out, you know when you bang so many women that you're just like, yeah, I know I can do that for the rest of my days. It's not that big a thrill anymore. You develop a certain ability to recognize certain types of women, how they might react. You know, you just become like anything. It's a skill like anything else, right? If you become good at getting women to come to bed with you you know, you start to recognize certain things. And in Italy, there's, there is still quite a different sort of scenario when it comes to, you know, casual sex or that sort of thing. It is frowned upon quite a lot more by, by the general populace and the women tend to be a lot more um, reserved about it, you know. And I thought, 
but I knew, you know, because I'm Italian, because I, you know, but I knew that it's like, man, everybody, like they, they fuck like rabbits in Italy, but it's just like what, you know, there's something's a little bit different. And it took me, I don't know, a couple of days maybe, to like click with it. And I was like, oh, it, no, it wasn't even a couple of days. I think it was the first day that I sort of was, I was going to be there for a few weeks at a time. And the very first day, um, I met the guys I was going to work with and, you know, they took me out for a drink, whatever. They said, oh, let's go for a drink. And as we walked past, we were walking into this restaurant, this bar or whatever it was. And as we walked past, I um, I saw, uh, you know, there was some woman standing around talking to a guy. And as I walked past, I saw this this woman. I just looked at her. She was quite pretty, you know, and we looked at each other. And in that half a second look, it was it was on. You know, it was just like, oh, so that's how it works here. So you know it's on straight away, but then you have to navigate past, you know, the, her friend and her, the guy that she's talking to, which I don't know if it was, you know, whatever, her boyfriend, her husband, or some random guy or whatever, and the guys that you're with, because there is all this social pretense that is a lot more different than it is, you know, here in, in the in Anglo-Saxon countries where the initial spark of it's on is not as clear, um, although it's there, you know, you can see it once, once you know to sp how to spot it, it's, it's, it's there, but it's nowhere near as obvious. And by the way, for the Anglo-Saxon people, the spark that's so obvious for us, you know, Latinos, is sometimes completely mysterious to them. They don't even realize that, you know, hey, that woman just gave you a look, That's that means you can just walk out of here with her, you know, and they don't get it. They don't see it. But then, and then if they do see it or they, they get told, they go about it completely the wrong way and they fuck it up <laughs> you know, because there are social cues that you need to follow. And that ability is analogous to the ability of thinking in, you know, three what I call three dimensions or paradoxical thinking. So if you sit there and you're like, but you know, there was a bad Pope once and, and you're binary thinking, so fucking what? Read your damn Bible, you idiot. No one's perfect. There's going to be bad priests. There's going to be bad Popes. There's going to be all sorts of whole churches that are just rotten to the core. So what? It's not the point. The point is the overall of the church, the the, the what it's done over the, the, the the time that's been around is amazing. You know, I'm, I'm even starting to go, and it has to be hierarchical. You know, one of the other things that are, you know, they, uh, the Orthodox are like, oh no, this Pope, there's no, this big leader, you know, and use the big boss. Listen, you've got to have a hierarchy. I'm starting to think that Vox secretly looks at my videos and, and predicts what, you know, he's, I think Vox is slowly becoming Catholic and you know, I know he's not and he hates denominations and all that you know so I'm just messing but his latest uh, one of his latest blogs and for I've seen a pattern emerging I don't know if he's been reading up on Catholic history or what or maybe he has watched a couple of my videos or whatever because he made a very good point on one of his blogs recently today I read it sometime about hierarchy in the church and how you need a hierarchy to get shit done you know, it's absolutely true. The best, you know, if you look at the feudal system, it wasn't bad. It really wasn't that bad. You had a landlord who owned the land and he allowed people to work the land and 
give him money so he would support his castle his land and whatever but the people that worked the land they kept the food you know enough food for themselves to to live well if he was a good boss right if he was a bad pattern then he took most of it and they starved if it was a good pattern they did well and he looked after them and he protected the lands and he protected the, the his little corner of the world and um and the baron respond you know uh, answer to the king and so on so there, there was a very hierarchical structure which works it just works why do you think the catholic church achieved so many things because it's got a hierarchical structure and it obeys it you know until of course it got taken over by the novus orkins but uh, again i want to drive home this point paradoxical thinking hierarchical structure and big picture you've got to keep all those things in mind you know, if you're sitting there like an Orthodox going, no, but all the bishops are the same and no one is better than anyone. No, you're talking nonsense. The Bishop of Rome was always, always from time immemorial, known to be the tiebreaker, known to be the guy that ultimately ratified the ecumenical councils and so on. This is all over the patristic writings, okay? You, you, you have to ignore black and white words in order to think otherwise. And it's the same thing with the filioque. You know, the filioque is such a ridiculous thing. The argument between the Eastern and the Western, one of the big arguments is, well, does the Holy Ghost proceed from the Father only or from the Father and the Son? That's it. That's the whole big fucking argument. A, who cares? You're not going to know. You're never going to know. And it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to your life. It's irrelevant to your belief in Jesus. It's irrelevant to your belief in God. It's irrelevant whether the Holy Ghost proceeds only from God or from God and Jesus. Plus, if again, you actually read the Bible, there's plenty of passages that clearly show that the Holy Ghost proceeds from Jesus. He literally breathes on them and the Holy Ghost entered them. So, you know, it's pretty much there again, black and white, not difficult. But now you have to backwards interpret it. And, you know, it's just rubbish. It's, it's crappy argument to begin with. But if you're going to Pick a side. Well, the Catholics actually got it right once again. So, you know, and you keep seeing this pattern, this repeated pattern of all these lies that have been told about Catholicism, all these lies that have been told about the Crusades, all these lies that have been told about the Ecumenical Council, all these lies that have been told about the Filioque. And you start to see the pattern. And I'm like, listen, man, you know, just do one big error at the time. You still have to respond to the God's Battalions book that you said you were going to scholarly uh, reply to so don't talk to me about anything else till you've done that good luck with that because rodney stark is a fucking historical freak and he's got i don't know he's, he's literally got a few hundred references to every single point that he makes so good luck you know but to go back to another point, you know, people like Vox and Owen say like, oh, no, the denominations don't work for me because this, that, you know, it's all about Jesus. It's just let's all love Jesus. And it doesn't matter as long as you're Christian, you're on the right side. And I've, I've discussed this before. That's an error. It's an error. OK. Yes, there are outliers like Vox. Yes, there are outliers like Owen that, yes, are Christians and it works for them. And I do consider them Christians. And by the way, so does the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church states quite clearly that salvation is assured only in the Catholic Church. What does that mean? Again, you see, if you're a binary thinker, you're like, ah, only in the Catholic. Salvation is assured 
only in the Catholic Church. What does that mean? It means that to be sure that you're going to be saved, it can only happen in the Catholic Church. And even then, we're not once saved, always saved. So what it's saying is, if you're in the Catholic Church and if you follow all the rules, your salvation is assured. But if you're in the Catholic Church and you don't follow all the rules, well, you might end up in hell just like everybody else. Furthermore, you could be outside the Catholic Church and be one of these freaky situations that you still get through to heaven. Okay, it is possible. But it's very, 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 very unlikely. You know, it's like saying, look, do you, um, if, you know, you, you want to you wanna get from this side of the pond to that side of the pond, you know, of the little lake, uh, the way to be absolutely certain that you can get through to the other side is to use a boat and not to swim. You know, a good boat and not to swim. That's your best chances. Does it mean that your boat won't sink? No, it might. Something could go wrong. And does it mean that even if your boat sinks and you not to swim, you will get to the other side for sure? No, the water might be really cold. You might die. You might get a cramp. You know, but the best way to make sure you get across the lake is to use a good boat and not to swim. Now, is it possible that you throw a two-year-old baby that's never learned how to swim into the water and somehow miraculously gets to the other side because it fucking finds a turtle that drags it there, whatever? Yeah, it's possible. But 99.9999999 times, it's just going to drown. So that's the same thing. See, that's the difference between paradoxical thinking and binary thinking. And, you know, when you're, when you're looking at those sort of statistics, it's absolutely idiotic to sort of say, no, but, uh, you know, and on this economical council and this thing, and uh, but when you talked about papal infallibility, you know, look, look at the big picture. Just look at, you know, and then if you want to go and dig in the details, fine. But that's do that on your own time. Don't waste my time on it because it's stupid. And I want to leave you with one last point. You know, if you think that oh, as long as you're on Jesus' side, you're on the right side. Well, in that case, Bergoglio is your leader. That's right. If you're one of these, as long as it's Jesus, it's all good. Non-denominational Christian, you're a Bergoglian. Why? Well, let me read you a quote from Bergoglio, the Satanist, yeah, the vicar of pedophiles on earth. That's his official title. This is a quote from Bergoglio. I am not interested in converting evangelicals to Catholicism. I want people to find Jesus in their own community. There are so many doctrines we will never agree on. Let's not spend our time on those. Rather, let's be about showing the love of Jesus. This was in 2014, July the 9th. Lunch with the Pope. Uh, by a guy, you know, it was on an article, Dispatches from Brian. So, get Catholic, get the fuck out. Now, make no mistake, you know, while we were having this little argument online with Dave... You know, we're like going at each other like fucking animals. And one of his little friends that's also watching, you know, he probably just kept quiet looking at it. And and Dave said, oh, by the way, you know, Ken, whatever his name was. By the way, Ken, don't worry, you know, like uh, Giuseppe is one of my best friends. And I'm, yeah, you know, the blood on the walls is just, you know, brotherly love spilling out. 
And it is, you know, I, I love Dave. He's, he's a good guy. I'll definitely share a trench with him. But, you know, in between firing at the enemy, we'll probably argue about some ecumenical council or some papal encyclical or some other detail of theology. Because that's kind of what we like to do. And, you know, my approach to the Orthodox is they're, they're, you know, I think that the chances that you're a Christian if you're an Orthodox are a lot higher than, you know, than in pretty much any of the other denominations except Catholicism, of course. Um, and that's for a simple reason that, that we're all in error. Okay, we're in error. You're in error. There isn't anybody who's going to follow perfectly every rule of the Catholic Church or any other church for that matter, because we're human and we're all flawed. That that's a given. All right. So we are all in error to some degree or other. Thank God we got purgatory, right? Which again makes sense. And again, it's in the Bible, by the way. They don't call it purgatory, but it says everybody will be tested in the fire according to what they've done. You know, it's pretty clear. So. You know, we're all going to be burnt a little bit before we get to go in the good place if we get there. But the errors that an Orthodox, a believing Orthodox is going to do, are going to be certainly a lot less, generally speaking, than what any random Protestant will do, and certainly than any pagan will do. So, you know, and, you know, I know, I know myself, I'm not a particularly good Catholic. I'm, I'm as observant as I as I can be, as I as I think I want to be, you know. Um, I do try and follow all the things. I don't know all of them necessarily, you know, and I'm pretty well read about it. But I also understand that there are many ways to serve, right? There's not just one way to serve, because again, that would be binary thinking. It's not like everybody has to be a little carbon copy. No, there's a guy who's maybe really good at calligraphy and he makes beautiful books and he copies the Bible perfectly. Great. You know, that's that's what he's there for. I like swinging swords and, you know, yeah, I'm pretty good at balancing out. So, you know, that's what I do. Stop the Sattersons, you know, that that's how it's worked and that's how it should be. But all of this, all of this in flux, this movement, you know, the fact that the church has been pretty much collapsed, except for us, we're the remnant, you, me, the other Catholics that are looking at this, right? Get strong, get together, help each other out. You know, that's why, well, help Dane out, give him a couple of bucks, make sure that, you know, he doesn't have to put his hand in his pocket. He already is putting his hand in his pocket anyway. He already has, he's already committed. But like, help him out, come, come to that talk, you know, come there, I'll sign your books, I'll sign whatever you want, you know, bring it along and I'll, I'll sign it, I don't care. And I hope to have time to speak with all of you guys outside of just the book side, you know, and there should be plenty of time for questions and answers. It's a small place, so there's only like going to be like space for 30 people or so, 20, 30 people. But, you know, those of you who have given more money will get precedence, you know, like, so when you do the, I'll leave the GoFundMe link at the bottom of the video. But if you do donate, just make sure you leave a name or something that, you know, we can recognize you. So when you say, no, I am so-and-so and I gave X, we can pick you up because obviously people who donated and supported us are going to get preference. If there's like a hundred people there and there's only space for 20 people, the people who sent the most deserve to sit there more than everybody else. If we do come across that, we will try and adapt it so that maybe we have three sessions instead of one long one. But you know, I don't know how these things go. I've done book signings before and you can never tell. Sometimes no one shows up and sometimes you've got more people than you know what to do with or books, you know. So Dana's got a few books that you can buy there, 
but I don't know how many. I think it's only like maybe a dozen, ten, something like that. So if you definitely, definitely, definitely want to get something signed, rather buy it now and bring your own. You know, it's only a couple of weeks to go. So um, it's in Indiana, it's in Hobart. I'll put the link. And not just for me, for us, whatever, but, you know, help each other out as well. Make these ripples happen. You know, Dana's already made loads of ripples, not just with me. He's gone to church. He's found a priest. He's started to affect other people in his community. He's getting other people to go to the church. That's what Catholicism is. And remember, we're all going to have the same Mass, all the same Latin Mass. On Sunday, I'm going to church, and guess what we're going to be discussing there? The priest that's coming is staying a bit longer this time so that we can discuss what's happening at December. You know, we're going to try and have a gathering. We're going to try and get people there. And he's already written to me and he said, yeah, he doesn't mind people who are not um, our Catholics or who are, who are nominal Catholics or even people that are not Catholic at all. He said, but they have to be serious. They have to want to know. You know, they, they better not just come there because they think, oh, it's a cool party. No, it's about religion. It's about Catholicism and it's if you have questions if you want to learn stuff you know come there maybe you come there and you don't ask a single question but you just listen to everything that's not a bad way to go you know so it's going to be in London on the 22nd is the mass on the 21st of December is going to be the the gathering so and maybe a lunch or a dinner you know we'll kind of take it as it comes you know that's that's the other thing you can't have everything mapped out that's not how life is so make a plan stick to the plan as best you can and remember no plan survives contact with the enemy. So adapt, change, roll with the punches. Okay, that's basically it. I hope uh, I've answered the two things. And if so, good, let me know. And if not, let me know too. And if you've got some topics that you specifically want to cover in more detail, let me know. I know some of you guys have made suggestions. I'll probably try and hit those next. But, um, you know, don't be shy to, to suggest something. It doesn't mean that I'll do it. It doesn't mean that I might not just ignore you. And if it's something that's really dumb and irritating or you're trying to be sarcastic and funny, you might just get banned. But live on the edge, you know. Good night.